good morning. It is Saturday morning here. Hope you're all having a blessed start to your weekend. It's Ember Saturday, and we are here um, going to talk about some, well, something generally unpleasant, so we'll just go right to it. Um, I want to remind you of the concept of making an example of people. Oftentimes you see this in leadership, justly or otherwise, that sometimes when there's a problem in the ranks, you have to find a problem among the ranks and uh, punish them and punish them harshly in order to keep them uh, to reign in the problems. And so I want to remind you of Bishop Strickland in November. He was removed from his office rather unceremoniously. Not long thereafter, Cardinal Burke had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Francis the Great Merciful. And when Cardinal Burke was asked about the meeting after he emerged, he said, well, I'm still alive, which given the, given a, if you've ever worked in a professional setting and you know that somebody had a, had a contentious meeting with somebody and all they would tell you when he asked how it went was that, well, I'm still alive. That's not usually a good thing. So they were made examples of, as were 24 other bishops or 23 other bishops in the last decade who were either put to pasture early or when they hit retirement age, despite being vibrant and having full of life and energy, were retired anyway, despite a shortage of bishops or others who were driven off into the hinterlands to become the local ordinaries of some rural area where there is hardly any faithful after having served in prestigious posts in the Roman Curia, just but just having the bad taste of being opposed to Francis's so-called reforms. There were a lot of ways that many people were made examples of. And so now the rhetoric has ramped up. The uh, oftentimes you'll see bad leadership speak through the mouthpiece of lackeys and that kind of thing. And we see this here. So why am I showing you the life site one though? <laughs> we get to the life site summary of this in a second. We're going to actually go to the original source, which is an Italian news source. And so you have uh, this headline. He said, Bruno Forte, I would say to the cardinals and bishops who publicly criticize the Pope, they are wrong. Now, this is, th this is an interesting headline here because most of this article is really not that important in the grand scheme of things. This, he, this interview is about this uh, book on spiritual reflections this bishop wrote. But here you get to the point where the very end of this, and that's, this is the part that's important here. And remember, we live in a time period in the church's history when the only thing we hear about really are dialogue and accompaniment and unity and not being rigid and clinging to the faith and things. Instead of the typical pick up your cross and carry Christ and the stay on the straight and narrow as opposed to the easy wide road. All, you know, the typical stuff that our forebears would hear, we don't hear much of anymore. It's all about unity and the rest of that stuff. And it's being given to us, that message is being given to us from men who do more to undermine unity through their own radical program than any of the things that these bishops are saying. Now, remember, when I say these bishops, I don't mean Strickland or even Burke at this point. I'm referring more to Schneider, Mueller the dubia cardinals from them from that new dubia that happened in the fall and all the other any other bishop who who opposes francis's program after fiducia supplicants a whole host of new bishops stood up and said no 
They may be wrong on a whole lot of other issues, but on that issue, that was a bridge too far. And they said no. And they gave pretty Catholic answers to why they said no. This is a message to them. So the interviewer asks him the following. He says, do you think that with the synod underway, Pope Francis will bring the reforms of the church to fruition? And his response, Bruno Forte's response is, of course, I hope so with all my heart. And I believe that everyone should do their part to make it happen. However, we should not cultivate miraculous expectations because the synod is called to activate processes that can bear fruit even after a long time. The, meaning the effect of the synod is going to be felt for that the or the outcomes of the synod will not be immediate. That these, the, again, activating processes that will take a long time. That means changes will happen because of a change to the process. For those who've been paying attention to myself, Tim Gordon, and a few others who have been on this, we've been hammering home this idea that the synod of synodality is about a change to process, to how things are decided, and how to uh, doctrine, dogma, disciplines of the church for the clergy uh, who has access to the sacraments, including holy orders. That's the program of the synod is to decentralize that process and that decision-making away from the hierarchy to laity who can be influenced by the reigning pontiff. It's an inversion of the hierarchy. And this will have a long range of consequences. And he's admitting this here by talking about how this will activate processes that can bear fruit after a long time. Now, to that, he, he has re responded, his interviewer responds by asking, what would you say to the bishops and cardinals who publicly criticize the pope? And his, Bruno Forte's response is that they are wrong. First of all, because the Pope is the successor of Peter, to whom Christ entrusted the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose. Secondly, because the Bishop of Rome has an overall vision of the church and the world, which no individual bishop has in the same way. Thirdly, because breaking the unity of the church arms everyone and the protagonism of individuals does not express the strength and beauty of communion, which comes from above, is an icon of the Trinity and leads us towards the beauty of the eternal homeland. End quote. Now, He's accusing any bishop of who opposes Francis's so-called reforms of breaking the unity of the church, of, of being a schismatic, and, and even going so far as to go against the divine plan. This is hyper-papalism, okay? This is the pope as oracle, pope ha as a essentially robot driven by the Holy Spirit, vision of the papacy. It's nonsensical, but that's what he's accusing people of, of saying that they are not in communion with the church anymore if they criticize the Pope. Meaning when Strickland and Schneider and name a bishop, when they any of them say, no, what this is coming out of Rome is wrong, they are in breaking communion with the church, that they are schismatics relying on their own individual leadership and individualism instead of the charism of leadership, the keys to the kingdom that Francis has allegedly been entrusted with. It's a remarkable thing to accuse them of. It's meant to sort of poison the well, but also to warn them against what they're doing with these examples looming over the entire church, that these examples of Strickland and of Burke and the Fernandez Torres down in Puerto Rico and several other bishops, 25 of them who have been canceled to some degree or another by Rome because they were not on the team. 
Now, as you might expect, LifeSite News riffed on this article uh, pretty... <laughs> they, they riffed on this article in a good way, and I will give you some of what they had to say here because um, they remind people here that there's more to this than um, just a competing vision of do, do obedience to the man you acknowledge as to be the Roman pontiff. So with their headline, they say, formal papal confidant says prelates who, quote, criticize Pope Francis are a th threat to church unity. Archbishop Bruno Forte accused bishops who publicly oppose Pope Francis of usurping papal authority, lacking the Pope's supposed comprehensive perspective and risking church unity. You know, there's Bruno Forte never, ever addresses the elephant in the room, which is that it's Francis's radical program and the tr changes he's foisting on the church that are the true threat to church unity. That is where the real, real threat to the church unity is. It's not from those who stand up and say, well, you know, the church has actually always said X, Y, and Z, and you are teaching something else, Francis. Maybe we should teach what the church always taught. It's not them who are the threat to church unity. It's the heterodoxy and the people promoting heterodoxy that are the threat to church unity. But I want to give you here what what, what they have to say, because they, they, they do quote the article. They quote that initial little bit of that article, and then they build on it. So, quote... A prominent Italian prelate has hit back at fellow bishops who publicly criticize Pope Francis, saying that they are wrong to do so, since they break the unity of the church. In an interview published February 22nd by Religion Digital, Archbishop Bruno Forte of the Archdiocese of Chiete Vasto in eastern Italy issued a strong critique of what the interviewer described as, quote, bishops and cardinals who publicly criticize the pope. Forte attested that such prelates, quote, are wrong for three reasons, implicitly accusing them first of attempting to assume the authority of the Pope. First, he began because the Pope is the successor of Peter, to whom Christ entrusted the keys of the kingdom to bind and untie. The 74-year-old archbishop added that those who criticized the Pope were also wrong since, quote, the Bishop of Rome is an overview of the church in the world, which no individual bishop has in the same way. Finally, Forte attested that to, quote, criticize the Pope was, quote, wrong since it endangered or even broke ecclesial unity. Quoting him directly, thirdly, because breaking the unity of the church hurts everyone and the leading role of individuals does not express the strength and beauty of communion, which comes from above. It is an icon of the Trinity and leads us to the beauty of the eternal homeland. While Forte did not name any prelate in particular, the most prominent prelates who have been accused of criticizing the Pope are the Dubia Cardinals, with the most recent public Dubia submitted over the summer and released on the eve of the October 2023 Synod on Synodality. The Dubia was submitted by Cardinals Walter Brandmuller, former prefect for the Pontifical Committee for Historical Sciences, Raymond Leo Burke, former prefect of the Apostolic Signatura, Juan Sandoval Iniguez, former Archbishop of Guadalajara, Robert Seurat, the former prefect for the Dicastery for the Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, and Joseph Zen, the former bishop from uh, the home, his homeland where Francis has made a deal with the devil. Both Brandmuller and Burke were signatories of a previous dubia submitted to the Pope in 2016 concerning Amoris Laetitia, end quote. And that's what this is about. This is about quelling the sort of rallying of the bishops that these dubia represent. The more recent dubia was about the, what can the church do on the James Martin subject? Because it was clear leading up to fiducia supplicants that we were being fed a bunch of nonsense about this, about, oh, the church can't bless sin, yada, yada, yada. Nonsense, meaning they were reiterating what church has always taught, but without actually ever intending to 
uphold and stick to what the church has always taught on these hot button issues. Because they then said, well, yes, we recognize what the church teaches, but now we're going to overtly violate what the church teaches through some very important acts that are not merely symbolic when you're, because when a priest blesses somebody, it's not the same as just giving permission, although that is an important part of it. Remember, a blessing is about giving permission or about endorsing what someone is doing. Add in, though, when you're talking about the supernatural aspect of a blessing, for lack of a better word, the divine aspect of a blessing imparted by a priest or a bishop or a deacon, you start getting into some very dicey territory. And for a lot of bishops, this was the, the final straw. And Amoris Laetitia was the beginning of what we see now. That's Fiducia Supplicans was based off of Morris Letizia. Cardinal Fernandez wrote both of those documents. And Fiducia Supplicans was the final straw for many of them. And now we see this, a lot of bishops who are just flat out saying no to Fiducia Supplicans in their dioceses and more rebellion, if you want to call it that, resistance, better word, is coming from them. And so now you have the Vatican trying to quell this. And these bishops, all of them who signed it, all those names are very important names. They're very, very influential people. Cardinal Walter Brandmuller has been retired now for several years. So many people may not be familiar with him. But when he writes letters, if I come across them, I record them for this channel because they are important. Leap, Cardinal Burke needs no, um, no introduction. Juan Sandoval probably doesn't either. In Guadalajara, Sarad certainly does not, nor, nor does uh, Joseph Zen. They are highly influential. Bishops rally to them. There, I mean, Cardinal Zen is, is he's, he is a symbol of the suffering church in his homeland. And people from across the church's ideological spectrum rally to him and give him support because of the sufferings he has done. So when he endorses something like this, it, it catches people's attention. Burke, because he is frankly a kind of a moderately conservative He's conservative, but in the church's spectrum of ideas, fairly moderate cardinal, especially in his presentation, the way he speaks about things and does not come down with a fire and brimstone that we associate more with uh, Vigano or even these days, Mueller on some things, which is weird. But let's get back to this article. So they, they dig deeper into this because this is not the first time that the Vatican has invoked this sort of threatening language. So he says, quote, Indeed, since 2016, the Dubia Cardinals have been accused of fostering apostasy and scandal due to their public calls for clarity on church teaching in the face of vague or heterodox pronouncements from Rome. In releasing the October 2023 Dubia, the Cardinals noted how such an action was not wrong, but was an exercise of their duty and of canon law. They cited Canon 212, subsection 3, which notes how the faithful have, quote, the right and even at times the duty to manifest the sacred pastors their opinion on matters which pertain to the good of the church and to make their opinion known to the rest of the Christian faithful without prejudice to the integrity of faith and morals with reverence toward their pastors and attentive to common advantage and the dignity of persons. The Cardinals also pointed to the particular duty they hold as members of the College of Cardinals outlined in Canon 349 under which they must quote assist the Roman pontiff individually especially in their daily care of the universal church. Such an understanding of a prelate's duty was shared by a number of bishops who supported the original 2016 Dubia Cardinals, such as Auxiliary Bishop Josef Robel of Lublin, Poland, who stated that the Cardinals were, quote, right to ask for clarification. Robel stated that the four Cardinals had done well and they have exercised correctly the provisions of canon law. I think it's not only a right, but even a duty. 
The process of a fraternal or filial correction is also one soundly defended in the church's teaching and is a spiritual work of mercy. As St. Thomas Aquinas writes in the Summa, fraternal correction is an act of charity. End quote. So that's what we're dealing with here. The, the Rome cannot handle fraternal correction. The reigning alleged pontiff can't handle fraternal correction. And so now they're sending a signal to the bishops who put their names on the dubia or any bishop who would side with them that they need to back down and stop resisting them. Again, we are now heading into the third month since Fiducia Supplicans was issued. We are now entering a new phase of Traditionis Custodis being, being imposed on people. Remember, you're starting to see a whole an uptick of a lot of these Latin masses being canceled because those Latin masses were extended through a special permission from Rome that lasted two years. And those were issued in 2021 and in 2022, meaning you're going to see a lot of those cl closing. We saw some closing late last year. You're seeing more closing now after probably by, I don't know, November 2025, you're going to have very few traditional Latin mass offerings anymore outside of fraternities and outside of the the uh, limits of traditionus custodis if they don't issue something further. Now, when they're talking about divisive language, though, I'm going to show you something here. This is like the hypocrisy on this is astounding. And so we go to the very, 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 very modernist zenit.org. So we're in Germany, which comes up a lot in the news for us lately. We get this. German bishops established new position. Bishop in charge of strange pastoral care. One of the measures arising from this assembly is that a bishop will personally oversee strange pastoral care. Dated two days ago, the 22nd of February. So they've been having this special council meeting. It's part of their synodal way that they've extended until like 2026. And they're really doubling and tripling down on fiducia supplicants. Like they, they took fiducia supplicants as permission to go after the James Martin issue and to embrace it in just a nakedly schismatic way. And so now they've got all sorts of weird ideas that are leading to the sort of normalization of sin and evil in the church. So let's go here. Very short article, we'll just go over the whole thing. So, quote, From February 19th to 22nd, the Conference of Catholic Bishops of Germany held its General Assembly in Augsburg. Again, Augsburg is, was a very important city in the Reformation. Go back to Reformation history. I'm not surprised this stuff is happening there. This is the first meeting for all Catholic bishops in this country after the Synod on Synodality that the Catholic Church held worldwide in the Vatican in October 2023. The objective of this meeting of the German Episcopate was the approval of the founding document of a synodal council, which ultimately was not voted on at the Pope's prohibition. The discussions over these four days revolved around three themes. One, responsible handling of authority. Sorry for my laughter, but the, the, the one of the thing the thing that they did not do, they went into the their synodal meeting planning to decentralize power and put it in the hands of the laity to the point where laity would have the right to veto the appointment of a bishop or veto the consecration of a seminarian into the priesthood. That's what they were going to do. So when they talk about responsible handling of authority, I can't help but laugh. Okay. I laughed the first time I read this and I can't help but laugh the second time. Two, strengthening the separation of powers in the church. And three, stricter implementation of accountability requirements for officials. That might be the only thing that's good. Because they called their synodal way because of their country's version of the Ted McCarrick problem. And they're using that problem to re fundamentally restructure the Catholic Church 
in a way that will be unrecognizable to laity afterwards. Something that has no connection to historical Catholicism. They're using the Ted McGarrick problem, a problem that they themselves exasperate by allowing James Martin types into the priesthood in the first place. And they're using that problem as their excuse to fundamentally change the church. One of the measures arising from this assembly is that a bishop will personally oversee strange pastoral care, a term borrowed from English defined as strange or unusual. It relates to uh, stuff of the flesh that does not correspond to established rules of the flesh. And they've pointed someone at this as a representative. This is the auxiliary bishop of Essen, Ludger Shepherds. It was noted that until now there were only representatives for strange pastoral care at the diocesan level. So this is the first time that this position exists at the level of the German Episcopal Conference. They also approved an inclusive and simple language prayer. The assembly also planned the pilgrimage of altar service to Rome for this coming summer, published a new document on ethics and peace, and distanced themselves from what they call politics that they don't like, that they characterize in a very strange way, etc., etc. So I'm going to suggest that everybody keep an eye out on that. One of the things we've seen in the church in our time is this attempt to to impose this ideology of the flesh going on with its ambiguities and its ultimate relativism on prayer. We've seen really strange rewritings of the Lord's prayer. We've seen rewritings of the creed and all in Protestant groups, but the German Sonata way is fundamentally a Protestant thing. It's a Protestant project done by Protestants who never left the Catholic church, but were Protestant in every other way, including their theology. And this is just the latest attempt at this sort of like like fringe version of that. So keep an eye on this. We will see how badly that goes in the coming weeks and months. <clears throat> Before I give, I will end here with a bit of good news here in a second, though. But first, I want to check the live chat. Brenda says, I see what Dr. Stein finds humorous. I don't laugh much. I don't laugh much in my in, on, in this stuff because it's so serious. I do will tell you this much. I, I laugh when reading some of these news stories because their brazenness is just astonishing and causes me to laugh. This is not a, wow, that's hysterical kind of laughter. It's sort of that uncomfortable, yeah, it's funny how just brazen they are, but at the same time, it's uh, it's really sad. That's that kind of laughter. Robert asks, have there been any dioceses that provided catechesis to their TLM pervert persons to convert them to the Novus Ordo? I have not seen that yet. I've not seen that yet. But if you are in a diocese at a traditional parish and you've been getting those kind of like talks from your pastor, especially probably would be happening at diocesan or cathedral uh, traditional Latin mass offerings. Let me know. Send me an email with some of that material. I would love to show that to see what they're doing, because that is in the letter that accompanied Traditionus Custodis. It was the instruction manual for implementing Traditionus Custodis. And that included this demand that we all be told how wonderful the new the the new order of the mass is and be brought to that. So keep if you have that material, because it's had to have been done somewhere, please send me a copy of it. I would love to see that. Um, David Wilson says Augsburg is where the Lutherans drew up their confession of the faith. Well, now Augsburg is where the uh, where these neo-Protestants are drawing up their confession of sin, basically. Um, let's see. Didn't Francis want to change the Our Father? Yes, he did. Now, he did that in Italy. He didn't impose that on the whole church, but he did change some of the wording of the Our Father, which is, again, kind of an odd thing to do. It really is. Um, Traditionalist Catholic says, this has the tone of corporate HR language saying fall in line. Yeah, it absolutely does. It does. 
that's the point of that warning that that bishop was giving. He's an Italian archbishop, close to retirement, and he's fully on Team Francis. Don't be surprised if somebody like that gets a red hat, by the way, this year. He's 74, but that doesn't stop him from taking an appointment in the Roman Curia if he becomes a cardinal archbishop. All right, let's go to the let's let's wrap this up with some with the good news story, which comes to us uh, from LifeSite. I swear I did look at more places besides LifeSite News today, which is Cardinal Edwin O'Brien. He's a cardinal. He's the Archbishop of Emeritus of Baltimore. He added his name to LifeSite's petition against the blessings of James Martin types. And uh, again, he's he's been retired for several years now. This is pretty short. We'll we'll, we'll go over the whole thing, at least the, the the relevant part here. But the I showed you that letter i think it was yesterday or a few days ago um i did redo my live stream yesterday morning by the way for those who were watching it live with all the the after effects of the internet problem i managed to fix my fix the issue on my end and redid the live stream a couple hours later but he did add his name to that list of of scholars and bishops and that's a good thing so to bishop strickland by the way so here's the article. It says, retired American Cardinal Edwin O'Brien has signed his name to LifeSite's petition, urging bishops to prohibit the blessing of James Martin types. Cardinal O'Brien offered his support after LifeSite News had emailed the petition to the bishops and cardinals of the Catholic Church. Over 22,000 people have now signed. In a brief statement sent to LifeSite News via email, O'Brien, who retired in 2019, after serving as the head of the Order of the Holy Sepulchre in Rome since 2011, emphasized that as one of the prelates involved in the founding of Courage, a Catholic apostolate formed in 1980 to aid those carrying the cross of the sin in, or of the of the inclination towards that sin in question. He is particularly disappointed with the Vatican's document in question, as it seriously undermines the their place to live a life of virtue. O'Brien emphasized that courage was founded to help those suffering with uh, the with the, that inclination to live committed to a chaste life in full accordance with solid church teaching, and that such people are ill served by the ambiguous fiducia supplicants. End quote. Now, as I'm going to remind you, I was probably the only person who record, recorded reported on this, but Courage on their own website endorsed fiducia supplicants. So this has got to really sting for this bishop too, because, and I can explain to you why Courage endorsed that diabolical document. They endorsed it because formal apostolates like that require the permission of the local ordinary to operate in the diocese. So they have to endorse something like that. If not, they can't operate there. They simply can't. They have to be in the good graces of the local ordinary. And so they are forced to side with the Vatican, even when their own bishop might say no to something. Because the local bishop won't discourage courage from participating, from uh, operating in their diocese if they are siding with a decree coming from the Holy See, even if that bishop doesn't like that decree. So that's why they endorsed it. And it could very well be that the, the priest running courage now is a true believer in fiducia supplicants, although I do kind of doubt it. But they have to have the permission of the bishops to operate there. So what would have happened if courage said no to fiducia supplicants? What would have been the consequence for them? You would probably have had, say, Chicago no longer allowing courage to operate. You would have had San Diego no longer allowing courage to operate. You could name a whole lot of these different dioceses in the United States that would have said no. But none of the better bishops in the United States would have said no to courage after they endorsed fiducia supplicants. See how it works? Politics isn't everything. And it's one of the really, really, really disappointing things about the state of the church today. 
Yeah, the uh, SSPX are the fourth largest religious order in the church right at the, at the time. Although a religious order might be a bit of a stretch. They are a priestly fraternity, but if they were a religious order, they would be the fourth largest. Just the number of uh, uh, third order members, the seminarians, and the the priests that they have. Uh, Christianity hasn't exactly failed, G. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, oh, okay, you're one of those. Bye. <laughs> Um, could they have remained silent? No, there was no way courage could have remained silent. The, the entire operation is based on that topic, that fiducia supplicants. I mean, imagine if like the FSSP tried to remain silent about traditionalist custodis, right? They didn't. They said they had things to say. It was all about obedience. And I think this is the same kind of thing for courage. Um, Yeah, Brian, the uh, that that multi faith center thing. I I think that's opened already. If anybody, by the way, if you're watching this and you've been to uh, that the, that multi faith center, that Abrahamic center that has three different temples, we'll call them in one place. Please email me if you've got any pictures. I'd like to get a, a report from somebody on the ground who's not in the media about it. All right, this is your opportunity to get some questions or comments or super chats or whatnot in the chat. Before we wrap this up, how do you become obedient to evil? By becoming disobedient to, to our Lord. That's how you do it. David Wilson says, not on my travel list. Right. It'd be the kind of place I wouldn't want to go to personally. But uh, if courage followed truth, God would bless them. And that's the thing. They had been following truth until this document. And then, then they had to try to walk a, a tightrope that I, I don't envy them for. I don't envy them for that cross that was given to them based on that document. Not one bit, but let's see. Checking here the chat. All right, looks like there are no any no no questions or anything. So, um, thanks for tuning in today, folks. Uh, pray for everybody we spoke about today, uh, Archbishop Bruno Forte. Anything, anytime we speak about a topic and it makes you think negatively about somebody who holds an office in the church or anybody else, really, say a quick hail mary for them. Or at the very least, that way it's hard to to have un, to have truly uncharitable thoughts about somebody that you pray for. So let's, let's try to ground everything we do in prayer. Okay, let that be one of our Lenten uh, a Lenten personal reforms that we go on. Morning, Daniel. Good morning, Brandon. Could the Vatican know something about a certain person who can end? Um, you mean the man of sin? I don't know. I I doubt it. I, I doubt that Francis has had any kind of meetings with anybody who would fit that bill. Um, I That would require also the current crop of leadership there to actually believe in things like Revelation, the apocalypse, and that stuff. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein, Ave Maria.